Luke chapter 8, verse 40, through to chapter 9, verse 9. So if you'd like to open that up in your pew Bibles and follow on as Sophie reads for us. Thanks, Sophie. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house. Because his only daughter, a girl about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, and a woman who has been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. Crowds crushed him. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When, he, when they denied it all, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out of me. Then the woman, seeing that she had, could not go unnoticed, came trembling at his feet. She told, sorry, trembling at his feet. In the presence of all these people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. He said, don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. She will be healed. When he arrived at the house, Jairus did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the daughter's mother and father. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he, could, but he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them, give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but ordered them, but he ordered them not to tell of what had happened. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them the power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you stay, stay there until you leave. If the people do not welcome you, leave the town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they sent out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now the Herod, the Tetrach, heard all about what was going on. And he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead. Others said that Elijah had appeared and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this that I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. Thank you. Lord, we thank you for this word that we can look at now and think about Jesus more and who he is and what he's done for us. And Lord, we just pray that we'd um, benefit from this time and let these things sink into our minds and into our hearts and uh, grow stronger with our trust in you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder how you feel about asking for help. What is your limit? When you realise that you're out on your own, you're getting nowhere, and you know that you need some help to sort things out. Well, for some men, it's their wives who impose the limit. After driving for ages and perhaps miles out of their way to find some wedding reception area or some other checkpoint, unable to wind down their windows and ask for help, for directions, their wives find their limits of patience. Uh, 
And they put their foot down and say, put the window down and ask for some help. Ask for directions. So I'm curious, what is it that makes it just too much at times for people to ask for help at times? Well, I'm starting to wonder whether it's just part of human nature. The other day at a barbecue, I witnessed one of my kids. There they were with their floppy paper plate in hand. It was already loaded with food, and that was before the sausages went on. And so taking the role of uh, a good father and sensing the consequences, I came out with a friendly voice. I said, hey, do you want a hand with that? No, I'm fine, comes back the quick reply. Spoken, just as the sausages roll on, <laughs> buckle the plate and roll off again with the salad onto the floor. Not mentioning any names, but uh, to narrow it down, it was, it was one of the boys. <laughs> well, finding it hard to ask for help seems to start early. Like most of us, things have to become pretty close to collapsing or even in the, in the midst of collapsing. Uh, before we're willing to ask for help at times. And did you know that in this passage, things head in that direction as well? We see that there's two people that have come to their limit. They've run out of options and they're out on their own. Their world is in the midst of collapsing and so they finally come to ask for help. They come to Jesus to ask for help. I wonder if we can be like that too at times. We've got to wait for things to be quite desperate, don't we, before we really get on our knees and come to Jesus. Well, Jesus hasn't long ago given the, um, the Sermon on the Plain, it's, as it's called in Luke, uh, and he's spoken about the parable of the sower. In the parable of the sower, the seed was the, the message about the kingdom of God, and it landed in different kinds of places. Uh, one of the places was the rocky places and the rocky places represented a time of testing. When the seed landed there, it failed to take root and so it died out. Another place the seed landed was also uh, amongst the thorns and those things threatened to choke the seed, choke that message of God's kingdom in someone's life. And the weeds were things like worries and fears and also problems like wealth and pleasures. Well, since Jesus spoke that parable back earlier in chapter 8, uh, we've seen two events where, like the seed on rocky ground, there's, there's testing, and like the seed amongst the thorns, there's, there's worries that crop up. And we've seen two events where they've been testing. One of them was when the disciples were in the boat, and their, their boat was uh, threatened to be swamped. And they had to work out whether they'd get through that test and trust in Jesus. And also the time when Jesus went and healed the demon-possessed man, the people of the Gerasenes had their faith in Jesus tested that time too. Well, they didn't have much faith in him. It was like the seed that disappeared, um, taken by the birds or didn't have any root. Here again, we, we come upon a, st a story, a third story of a healing, where people again have their faith tested. And the first person is Jairus, and he's faced with the threat of losing someone very close. We pick it up in verse 40, if you're reading on. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. 
Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came out and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Jairus is described as a ruler or a leader of the synagogue. He held a responsible position to teach and apply the word of God, in particular the law, to the Jews. But he's in a very desperate and dreadful situation. And sometimes it can take quite a lot, can't it, for people to ask for help. Well, Jairus has found his limit with his situation. His only daughter, 12 years old, is dying. And so he's on his own without anybody to help him out. And so he comes to Jesus for help and his faith is tested. The way he comes is in humility. Like we've seen others in Luke's Gospel, he comes to the feet of Jesus and he pleads for help. Well, Jesus, we're told, responds by walking to his house, which is probably not too far away. In verse 42, we read, As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. But just as he does, what we have is a change in scene where we're caught up with an urgent situation, but then Luke diverts us to another story about a woman who's got nobody to help her. It's in verse 43, I'll pick it up. And a woman was there who'd been the subject to bleeding for 12 years, but nobody, no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Here's a woman who has suffered for as long as Jairus' daughter has been alive. We don't know her name, but again, she's someone who comes to the feet of Jesus. She's also found her limits in life. She's out on her own and there's nobody to help her as well. But as she comes to Jesus, we see that her faith gets tested as well. We don't know exactly what her condition is, but it's probably some kind of uterine bleeding. It's been a chronic problem that hasn't taken a life, but it has had other problems. And it's one of those problems is the fact that she's been more socially isolated because of her condition. In this state, she's become what might be called ritually unclean or ceremonially unclean. And any physical contact with others would give them the same result. So for a long time now, sadly, she's remained at the edge of society and she's become a type of outcast. And furthermore, to add insult to injury, she's spent money on doctors, but none of them have made her better. They've failed to help her and she's just lost money. So, so she's probably doing it very tough. Well, she goes out, out on a limb though, doesn't she? She takes her risks. She heads towards Jesus as he's on his way to Jairus' place and she deliberately reaches out and touches the edge of his cloak. She does that in the midst of the crowd thinking that she's not going to be noticed and it kind of works for a little while. She, she gets immediately healed but she does get noticed because Jesus stops and noticing that power has gone out from him, he asks the question, who touched me? So the woman comes to Jesus in verse 47. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. Well, why was she trembling? Uh, what was she afraid? What was the threat to her that she comes before Jesus 
in this sort of state of panic. Well, it seems to be that she's worried about people's reaction to her. She might be worried about Jairus, the synagogue ruler, his leadership and what he might have to say. She might be worried about the crowds. In a village in those days, people knew who had a problem or not. And she might have been worried about Jesus and his response to her once Jesus has actually been touched by her. Well, here's a moment then when her faith is tested. It's tested because she's got to work out whether she's going to touch Jesus and create problems. And it's also tested because she's got to work out whether she's going to speak up when Jesus said, who touched me? But although she's shy and she's frightened, we read in verse 47, in the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she'd been instantly healed. Her faith is tested, but she passes the test. She does touch Jesus and she speaks up. Her faith's in the right place. It's a living faith that we can see from her actions. She follows through. She believes Jesus can do something and that's why she goes ahead and takes her action. And then she's willing to tell the crowds about it as well. Well, the good news is for her, Jesus commends her for her trust. Things end well. In verse 48, he said, Daughter, your faith is healed. You go in peace. Well, when is your faith put to the test? And when is my faith tested as well? Is it when we are amongst people who want to know where we stand with our Christian worldview, where we stand with our values in perhaps a, a workplace or as part of a, a social community we, we might be part of. It might be the bowling club. Is our faith tested when we think about our future and how God's going to provide for us? We've just heard this morning about Sophie stepping out and getting ready to start with Crusaders. Do you think about your future and how God's going to provide for you? Perhaps we could have our faith tested at times when we just feel down for whatever reason. Well, whatever the test we might be walking through with our faith, the Word of God reminds us today that Jesus is the right person for us to have our faith in. He's the faithful Son of God. And we see from God's Word that He loves us and that He's in control of all things and He even has our future in hand as well. Later in the story, we see Jesus' love for us as he suffers and rises for our sin. But right now in the story, this woman is healed and she goes away in peace. But time has passed and it brings us back to that urgent situation that we're presented with at the start of the chapter with Jairus and the sad news that he's received. Well, the news gets even worse in verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking, Someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. It's difficult for us to really feel the force of those kinds of words sitting here, isn't it? We're not really emotionally affected by these people and events that have happened some 2,000 odd years ago. These people we don't even know. Even today we can be desensitised as we get bombarded by the media with so many sad things that come across from us from the TV and the news. 
But if anybody came to us today regarding one of our children and said, your daughter is dead, don't bother the teacher anymore, well, the amount of grief and loss, the experience of that would be an enormous uh, moment for us. To, it would be a big hit. And that's how it must have been for Jairus at that time. It's in that space, if you like, in that depth of sorrow, in the midst of that confusion and heartbreak, people talk about not feeling anything. They feel numb. Well, it's in that place and at that time that Jairus has his faith put to the test. Jesus shows compassion. He goes and speaks to him about the situation and he offers some words of comfort, some living words. In verse 50, he says, Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. Well, Jesus then goes to the house. He corrects the crowd for their wailing and for their mourning and reminds them that her condition's not permanent. He says she's, a, she's asleep. She's not dead, but asleep. Well, the crowd thinks that's um, nonsense, and they ridicule Jesus because they've got no faith in his words. But after taking Jairus and his wife, Peter, James and John, Jesus then goes to the little girl. In verse 54, he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. So what then is the significance of this miracle? Well, it's a sign of who Jesus is, that he has God's authority over the normal way that the world works. He's able to reverse the chaos of the present because this is a fallen world, isn't it? It's a world that's characterised by sin, sickness, disease, much sadness at times and death. It is a hard world. And yet Jesus has been proclaiming that God's kingdom is at hand. And today we get a taste of that kingdom once again breaking in on the present. We get a, a taste of the, the full kind of kingdom that we'll experience at the end. And it's a, it's a kingdom of not just resuscitation but resurrection. And that's something that the Old Testament's already uh, foreshadowed and looks forward to. In Daniel chapter 12... Uh, we read about that time at the end when God's kingdom comes and people are raised. It says, At that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Well, the story of Jairus' daughter is a story about resuscitation, but it's also a taste of resurrection that comes to all God's children at the end. Now before he saw his sick daughter healed and brought back to life, Jairus was just living by faith in what Jesus said, wasn't he? Like the seed that was choked by the weeds, Jairus could have had his faith severely choked as well as he worried as he was fearful about how things were going to work out but his faith in jesus was in the right place for jesus is the mighty son of god who is able to heal and he's able to save 
But what about you and I? Where is our faith, particularly in times of testing? Is it in Jesus? Well, faith is a normal part of everyday life. When you sit on the pews, uh, you have faith that they'll hold you up. When you walk out to uh, morning tea to get a cup of tea, you have faith that the floorboards aren't going to collapse underneath you. Whenever you put your tea in the tea bag in the hot water, you have faith that Mr Dilmar has filled that bag with tea leaves and that soon you'll be enjoying a nice salon cup of tea. And even if Mr Dilmar wasn't the one who filled the tea bag with tea leaves and he's paid some other poor person in the third world country to do it, we've still got faith that there's tea leaves in the bag and it's not going to be cocoa beans or coffee. That is, we don't have a blind faith, do we? We can test things before we exercise faith. We could test some weight on the pews and see if it holds up. We could test our weight on the floorboards and we can either step out in faith on the floorboards or if it's the pews, we sit out in faith, don't we? We can test that they'll hold up the weights and then on that basis we sit down. Well, we could cut those tea bags, couldn't we? We could open them up and see that there's tea leaves inside. Our faith isn't just a blind faith, it's one we, we can test before we exercise faith. But once we've made some observations and we're pretty convinced, our faith is steadily built on those observations and then we step out in faith. Well, likewise, our faith in Jesus is built on passages like we've seen today. We've, we can observe that Jesus is faithful, that he's able to save, he's able to heal, that he's altogether trustworthy. And so on that basis, we're called to put our trust in him and we do. Have you done that yet? Have you come to a living trust in Jesus yourself? Well, if you haven't, today could be a good day where it might be the day that you do that. Well, in life, our faith may be tested, but the key is to have it in the right place, isn't it? Whether we've got a, a big lot of faith or just a small lot of faith, when we walk on the floorboards in the hall, if we've, we've tested the floorboards and we've, we've seen that they're, they're worthy of our trust, it doesn't matter how much faith we've got, does it? It's what they're in. And today we see Jairus and this woman, they both have their faith tested, but their faith is in the right place. It's in Jesus who we can also trust. And so we see that these people, uh, they become a little less like the soil that's rocky. When the testing comes, uh, there's no root and the seed dies out. They're not like the seed that landed amongst the, the thorns and gets choked by worries and fears, wealth and pleasures. They become like the seed that's sown on the, the good soil that received the word and produce a crop to the glory of God a hundred times what was sown. And the challenge is for us to be a, a bit like them, to, to respond to whatever tests our faith get and to uh, respond continuing to trust Jesus. Now having healed, did you notice that Jesus leaves them with um, some puzzling closing comments in verse 56? Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what has happened. Well, that would be pretty hard, wouldn't it? They've just had 
You know, the dead daughters come back to life. Well, as, as it is, Jesus has been busy preaching the good news and God's kingdom is dawning in his work. And he's keen to preach the good news to other villages and towns also before the authorities react against him. And so it seems to be against that backdrop that he orders the parents not to tell anyone what has happened so they don't speed up attention perhaps from the authorities until the right time. But now the story moves where the seed is being cast further afield. And we start to learn a few things from Jesus' short-term mission. He takes his closest disciples with him and gives them power and authority over demons and sickness. And their message is to centre on the kingdom of God. Some people would receive them and some people would reject them. And it seems to be that how the people receive the disciples of Jesus is related pretty much to the way they would receive Jesus as well. I occasionally see this at school. The the attitude that people have to Jesus, sometimes that's the attitude they've got to their scripture teacher. Well, those who rejected the message of the kingdom of God were given a sign. The disciples would shake the dust of their feet as evidence that they'd done their duty and the people had to take responsibility themselves for rejecting the message about God's kingdom. But what sort of lessons can we take away from this scenario? Well, in the first place, we're reminded that Jesus isn't going to be with his disciples much longer. And that the disciples are going to carry on his mission after he's gone. And secondly, we see the centrality of the message of God's kingdom. Jesus knows that people need to understand that this age is passing away. That God has sent Jesus as the way to come into God's kingdom. To trust him once he's suffered and died and risen again for sins. He becomes the way for people to enter into a new relationship with God. To enjoy forgiveness of their sins and to enter into God's kingdom. Well, the disciples are out and about on short-term mission and it wasn't long before Herod the Tetrarch becomes aware of this new movement. News about Jesus and what he's doing is getting out. And Herod is perplexed. It's not a word we use all the time, is it? Perplexed. We could say Herod's bamboozled. He's been baffled. He's not sure about what's going on. Some people have said that Elijah's come back from the dead. Some people have said John the Baptist has come back from the dead or that one of the ancient prophets has risen. And Herod's confused because he said, well, I'd I'd beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? Well, we're reminded once again that tension's probably going to be mounting against Jesus because if Herod's already taken off John the Baptist's head, things aren't looking good for Jesus. Jesus looks like he could be a bit of a threat to Herod's reign. But... As he ponders what is going on, Herod leaves us with a good question to wrestle with, isn't it? Who then is this that I hear such things about? It's a good question for us to grapple with as we continue reading Luke's Gospel and as we keep forming an opinion about who Jesus really is. So it's a good question that Herod raises both for himself and for us. 
Well, in conclusion, the take-home message of this sermon is to continue with our hope in the right thing. Today we've seen people who've come to their limits and they finally need uh, realise they need to ask for some help. They might not be uh, driving their com- car somewhere and looking for directions. They might not have a plate of food that's overflowing with sausages, but they need some help in their life. And they come to Jesus for help. They have their faith tested, but they come through that test. And at times in life, we're also going to have our faith tested too, aren't we? But the lesson and the take-home message from today's passage is that it doesn't matter how big your faith is or how small it is. The key for us is to make sure that our faith is in the right place, to trust and rely on Jesus, who is altogether thoroughly trustworthy. And may we be those who then continue to pass the tests of our faith, to be like the seed that's sown amongst the good soil, that we overcome in God's strength all kinds of testing as we continue steadfast with our trust in the Lord. May God help us to be like that seed sown on the good soil and press on with our faith in Jesus. Let us pray. And Lord God, we do thank you for this time today where we've seen these people in very desperate situations with their faith put to the test. And Lord, we thank you that they remained with their faith in the right place, in Jesus, who's altogether trustworthy, in control of all things and able to save and heal. Lord, we thank you that even though we might be um, experiencing all manner of tests of our faith as we live as your people, Lord, we pray once again today that you'd, you'd continue to strengthen us uh, in our resolve to keep our faith in Jesus. Lord, for all of the difficulties that we work through, Lord, we just pray that we get through those tests and that we continue to bear fruit for you, for your glory, and that we'd be like seed sown on good soil producing a crop for you. Lord, we thank you that we do all these things in your strength and that you help us persevere. And we pray for these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.